Okay, so in this video, substitute teacher Mr. Garvey is having trouble adjusting to pronouncing these kids' names in a new school. He says every name wrong, and the students become visually upset, and this makes for a pretty comedic scene, right? Um, A.A. Ron has even produced like some really cool t-shirts and one-liners. Uh, but people with complicated names know all too much what the situation is like, including myself. So my family and I have been at Rooftop for about five years, and one of the uh, first uh, outreach events that we went to um, was Summerfest. It's this big end-of-the-year party uh, that Rooftop throws, summer end-of-the-year party that Rooftop throws for the community. There's games, food, fun, all that kind of stuff. And this is where we first met uh, Pastor Matt. So he comes over to my husband, Greg, and I. He says, hi, I'm Greg. Hi, I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Ariel. And I must have just blended the I'm and the Ariel just like a little too fast together because he gets this weird look on his face. Like, Mariel? which is exactly like the response that you want from a pastor of a church when they tell you your name. Hey, Greg, I think that this uh, pastor shows real promise and kindness. We should totally join this church. Needless to say, uh, he finally got it right. And then I had to listen to him blab on about The Little Mermaid on how he much loves that soundtrack. And so I just should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> Uh, but this kind of situation is actually really normal for me. A lot of people pronounce, mispronounce my name. Um, it's either Ariel or Yariel. I've had some people refer to me as Oreo a couple of times. I don't know where that comes from. And who's to blame for this? Well, this character right here. Yeah, she's cute, but she totally ruined my life. Ever since 1987, when Disney's Little Mermaid came out, my name has been notoriously butchered. Um, I've had to correct people countless times, and sometimes I like, just don't even want to because it's just too much trouble. So maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have a name that's difficult to pronounce or difficult to spell or it's uncommon and you don't want to correct people either. Or like me, um, you see all the cool kids with name plates on their bikes and you just kind of secretly harbor resentment towards your parents because no cool things have your name on them. But names matter. Getting names right matters. What's one of the first things uh, that you do when you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is. If you're getting ready to have a baby, uh, what's something that people ask you? Have you chosen a name? So names actually have meanings that demonstrate someone's character. And we see this a lot in modern and contemporary uh, literature and movies. Uh, for example, in the Harry Potter series, uh, Lord Voldemort, um, his name means flight of death. And that's what we see him do throughout the entire series. He's trying to get away from death. Um, in the Marvel Universe, you have the uh, villain, Thanos. His name actually has Greek origins, uh, which mean immortal. And we actually see this too in the story of, in scripture, when we see the story of Abigail and Nabal and King David. So Abigail is described as beautiful and clever, and her husband Nabal is described as a fool. Well, King David wants Nabal to provide hospitality for him and his army, but Nabal says no, and so he throws a banquet for himself and then dies days later. Abigail, on the other hand, recognizes his foolishness and gathers items from her household and goes out and saves her household and feeds King David's army. But one of the most famous places in scripture where we see someone giving their name is in the book of Exodus in chapter 3. We meet a shepherd named Moses, 
And what he does, he goes off and he notices a bush that doesn't burn. And so he wanders over to the bush and he realizes this is the presence of the Lord. The Lord calls to Moses and tells him he's sending Moses to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to rescue the Israelites who've been in slavery for 400 years. After a bit of back and forth with the Lord, Moses finally asked the question. Moses said, suppose I do go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So this is actually a really monumental and important moment in scripture. God is giving his name and it seems like it's I am who I am or sometimes shortened to I am. Now there's been uh, much dialogue and disagreement um, and discord about the Lord's name or what's widely accepted and pronounced as Yahweh. There are technological disagreements, theological disagreements, pronunciation disagreements, and whether or not you should actually say it. So this is my Hebrew um, instructor's experience. When he went to Israel and lived in Israel for six months, they would read the scriptures and they would come to the name of Yahweh and they would typically just say Adonai, um, which means my Lord in Hebrew. Or sometimes they would spell it out. They'd say Yod, He, Vav, He, um, which are the letters that spell out Yahweh. Very much like if I came up to you and said, hi, my name is A-R-I-E-L. It would take a really long time to get to know you that way. Sometimes they'll even say the name uh, just to avoid it altogether. Very much like characters in Harry Potter say he who must not be named when they're referring to Lord Voldemort. So in Exodus 3, God introduces himself as I am who I am, or Ahyeh Asher Ahyeh in Hebrew. Uh, in most English translations, you'll see I am in all capital letters, or sometimes all Lord in all capital letters, indicating that this is where you need to say the name of Yahweh. So the name has uh, been come to mean something like he brings all things into being. He is the source of all things. He just is. And this is actually really relevant to the fact that Moses um, is going to go to Egypt, um, where they have a lot of different gods. They had a god for the sun. They had a god for the moon. They had a god for uh, music and medicine. And at one point, it was estimated that there were 2,000 gods prominent in Egypt's history. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds exhausting. So it sounds like the purpose of God's name in the Exodus story is that God is just the source of all things. Now, if I'm being honest with you, uh, the Lord's name is not always very practical for my faith. Uh, a few months ago, I was wrestling with some frustrations and I thought about this pivotal moment in Exodus. How does the fact that God just exists really help me right now? There are a lot of things that exist uh, and they can't help me. 
I think it's great that the Lord is everlasting, but how does this really help me when I need help? What does this mean? How does this develop God's character more for me? Think about the Israelites in Egypt. Did they need to know that God just existed? They knew that already because they were praying and crying out to him. So why here would God imply existence when talking to Moses and telling him his name? It would be like if I went up to my husband and I said, hey, I need help with dinner. Would you mind cutting the onions? And he replied, I am Greg. (laughs) That is great. Yes, you are. But I still need the onions to be cut. Now, to be fair, the Lord may call himself whatever he wants. And in many places in scripture, that's what we see happen. We see God refer to himself um, as a transcendent eternal being, right? Like in Isaiah 43.10. Before me, no God was formed, and there will be none after me. So I am is a good translation. But there's another way to translate and view God's name in Exodus 3 that I think is more consistent with Scripture, true to God's character, and more comforting to us. So I am just means I exist. But the Hebrew phrase, ahyeh, asher, ahyeh, means something different in this situation. Ahyeh is a verb that describes the appearance or the activity or the appearance, or I'm sorry, the presence, activity, or appearance of a thing. So in other words, it can mean that God is present with his people. Theologian Dr. Michael LaFabri explains it this way. He says, perhaps a helpful paraphrase of God's word at the burning bush would be, say to the people of Israel, I am present, has sent me to you. This idea also connects back to what God said to Moses earlier when Moses is complaining that he doesn't want to go to Egypt. In verse 12, the Lord says, I will be with you using the same verb, ahyeh. In fact, it's probably no accident that it appears two times in God's name. God is trying to make his point. I will be with you. Doesn't this seem to make more sense here? Doesn't this help the Israelites to know that God's presence means that things are going to happen? I mean, they feel oppressed and forgotten. God doesn't just show up for no reason. God works. God's name is just a title. It's not just a title, but it's a verb. In fact, most of the Hebrew language is actually verbal. It suggests action. Calling God's name a title can seem kind of cold and impersonal at times. In asking his name, Moses is not asking for a PhD or an MA or the letters behind his name that we might actually ask um, when we're talking to somebody today because those things didn't exist back then. For Moses, there's a relational aspect here. When Moses says, what is your name? It's like, tell me more about yourself. God's name is not just a name, but a name that showcases his power and presence and that he is with his people at all times. And this is what the Hebrews would have needed to know, that God is present with them. Calling God, I am present, is actually more consistent with the biblical story and illustrates God's passionate desire to be with his people and to dwell among his people. 
In Genesis, uh, you see God walking in the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. Jacob, one of the descendants of Abraham, encounters God being with him. Further along uh, in the biblical story, we get to Joshua in the promised land. And God reminds Joshua that as he goes with him into the promised land, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, God connecting himself to the past, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And just so we're clear, God's words to Joshua are not about going into the promised land and being to extinguish your enemies, but about God being with him to help him follow him in a land that was hostile to God. But in Exodus 3, which is arguably one of the most important stories in Israel's history, um, God, delivering the, uh, God delivering the Israelites out of slavery, informing them to be his people, we find out that God is just self-existent. If a name reveals the character of a person or a thing, then what does God want the Israelites to know? God has appeared. God is on the scene. And God is present with them in their suffering. We need to know this too. We need to know that God is present with us. But what exactly does that mean? The slavery and delivery thing happened thousands of years ago. What can we possibly learn from God through this moment? Well, for one, uh, God is eager to reveal his character to us, right? It's very much like introducing yourself to someone um, shaking their hand and getting to know them over time, right? It's the same way with God. Throughout scripture, God is actually really continually doing this by calling himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's connecting himself to the past. This week, um, I got a delivery, and on the back of the envelope, I turned it over, um, and there was this quote by Pastor Alnado Santiago Jr. He says, when God reveals his name to Moses, he decides to highlight his steadfast commitment to remain faithful to and with his people. God's presence is an invitation to us to trust, watch what God will do, and to get to know him over time. Now, you're probably not going to have your Moses moment. You're probably not going to go lead an entire nation, most likely. But it could be something as simple as providing for you or comforting you during a crisis. By revealing himself to us, he wants to establish trust with us. But let's be honest, you guys. Is that always what we want? We want explanations. We want answers. We want a safe God who is going to let me stay in the pasture with my sheep. Moses asked a lot of questions of God before he decided to obey. And one of those questions was, why me? But that question was never answered. What mattered was that God was with Moses and the Israelites and he was going to reveal himself by doing what he said. Second, uh, God is not a magic trick. We don't have to do anything to provoke God's presence with us. He just is. We saw this at the very beginning of the story where Moses is just wandering, going about his own life, and then suddenly the Lord appears to him, right? Moses doesn't have to do anything. Further along in the Exodus story, um, we see the Israelites 
after they've come out of slavery, Moses goes up the mountain with God to receive the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites are like down here at the bottom of the mountain, and they're getting really grumpy, like children who want a snack. And they're wondering, what, what is going on? Where is God? Where is Moses? This is taking so long. And so what they do is they gather all of their gold that they brought from Egypt, and they form a golden calf. Now, for those of us who are really familiar uh, with the story, we always look at the story and kind of give uh, the Israelites grief for this because they just saw all these signs and wonders on how God delivered them out of Egypt. But let's cut them some slack. Most likely, they were only worshiping gods the way that they have seen in Egypt. Back in ancient times, if you wanted, if you were praying to a deity, whoever that deity was, if you were praying to that deity and you wanted to like get the deity to do something like hurry up, what you would do is you would take the idol like with you or you would pray to it or something like that. And that's probably what's happening here. But God is not a magic trick. We can't really do anything to get God to be with us. But don't we do this sometimes? If I just read my Bible at exactly the right time, if I say exactly the right words during prayer, if I show up to church and sit in exactly the right spot, then God is with me. But God is not a magic trick. Now, while you should do all of those things, um, pray, come to church, read your Bible, it's not going to change God's presence with you. God is already with you, even when it seems like you are the one at the bottom of the mountain waiting for him. And thirdly, God is with us in the hard times, which means we don't have to be afraid. Um, this includes both things that God asks of us and in our times of suffering. Uh, when Moses saw the burning bush, the Hebrew text says that he turned aside from his normal shepherding routine to inspect the bush. Moses allowed his life to be disturbed and interrupted by God. God said, okay, go on, go to Pharaoh. Okay, that sounds really easy. Leave this place tending my sheep and go lead my people. The truth is, is that living an easy life is not always a biblical picture for those who follow the Lord. Do you know what happened when Moses actually went to Pharaoh? Pharaoh increased the workload for the Hebrews. It actually sounds like God's presence made things harder for them. Okay, Moses, you can go. That was good. Nice try. But God encouraged his people and did what he said despite Pharaoh's orders. We just actually ended a series here uh, at Rooftop on sin, uh, what it is, what it looks like. And so I've been thinking about my sin. It's not fun. I've been thinking about it and how it can seem like insurmountable, right? It's like a mountain. It just seems impossible to deal with, right? But God gives us his power and his presence to overcome the most seemingly impossible tasks, even when we don't want to go, even when it seems like things get harder. God's presence gives us the courage to do those hard things. And finally, knowing God's name means I am present points to the reality that Jesus came to earth to be with us. During his time here on earth, Jesus continually equated himself with God the Father, and this is what got him killed. Uh, there's a story in Matthew's gospel um, where the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. I feel like they're always on the Sea of Galilee. Like, that's just what they do. 
They're on the Sea of Galilee, and there's this big storm, and it comes up, and Jesus isn't with them, and the disciples, of course, are freaking out like they always do. But like I said, Jesus isn't with them, but he comes, um, and he starts walking on the water, and they see him, and they get even more afraid. And Jesus cries out. He's like, no, it's okay. Don't be afraid. It is I. Now, while the phrase, it is I, can mean, of course, it's me, There are hints in the biblical text that this points to the divine name mentioned in Exodus 3. Jesus is not only affirming his authority as Lord here, but that he is with his disciples. I am with you. I am coming to you. I am present with you. I'm going to act. And he does by calming the storm. After his resurrection, uh, Jesus says that he's sending the Holy Spirit to be their helper. He's going to go back with the Father. He tells them all authority on earth has been given to him. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus then tells his disciples to teach people everything that he has taught them and to continue the kingdom of God. And he gives them this promise. And I love how N.T. Wright actually translates this verse. He says, and look, I am with you every single day to the very end of the age. This scene is also like Exodus 3. Jesus is telling them that as they go and make disciples, he's with them always as God was with Moses and the Israelites. As Israel was to be a light to the nation, followers of Jesus are to be new creations in the kingdom of God. If we are followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit with us to guide us, to make us new, to do the really hard things, to share the good news of Jesus with others, and we need his presence to do so. Uh, One person that I think about when um, I think about the presence of God is Mother Teresa. So Mother Teresa was a saint uh, who served those in the slums of Calcutta. Now you'd think her dedication to the sick and to the dying meant that she felt God's presence with her, especially when you consider some of the things that she had to do. She took the sick babies that parents didn't want because they were just going to feed them to the wolves. She built a house for the sick and the dying because she did not want them dying in the gutters with rats. Surely, you would think that she would absolutely need God's presence to make it through all those horrendous things. But after her death in 1998, her personal journals were released that documented the fact that she experienced profound darkness in the absence of God. She felt like God had abandoned her. And while she was completely devastated um, at this, she kept going. She kept ministering to the sick. She kept praying. She kept following the path that she knew that God had called of her. Whether or not we feel God's presence with us, we still have that work that God has called us to do. Don't be afraid if you don't feel the presence of God with you while you're doing what he's asked you to do. Like Mother Teresa, we may be asked to do hard things like take a new job that's far away from our family, Uh, parent a kid with special needs, um, or stay in a marriage that we don't want to stay in. And it's hard to do these things. It is hard to obey, and it is hard to endure, especially when we don't feel God's presence. But don't let that stop you. 
So of course, have you ever wondered this? Have you ever wondered if God is actually with you? Uh, I have. Um, I have looked for God not knowing what to look for. I have prayed for things to happen that seem to not happen or don't happen at all. Um, most of the time when I'm praying, I feel like I'm talking to the wall or to the sky uh, or to the air, not to a divine being who is actually with me and is also somehow with all of you too. And if you're like me and Mother Teresa, you don't always feel God's presence. And to be honest, sometimes I don't know if I want to because anytime somebody is confronted with God's presence or an angelic presence in scripture, it's terrifying for them. But thankfully, in Scripture, God does not command us to feel his presence. But he does call us to remember. He established festivals like Passover, and Jesus established communion for us to remember what he's done. The idea of remembering in Scripture is not just about recalling information that I need when I need to take a test, but we remember by doing. So how do we remember by doing? What does that actually look like? Well, there's just one thing I want you to take away today. Not three things, not four points that all start with the same letter, just one thing. You're welcome. I could teach Matt a thing or two. So what are you doing to remember that God is with you? Ancient people actually used objects uh, to remember that God was with them or to remember the scripture or to remember to obey. In Deuteronomy, Moses presses the Israelites. He says, these commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Why is Moses saying this? Well, it's because the Israelites were described as a stiff-necked people. You know what it means to be stiff-necked? It means to be stubborn. You're immovable. They forgot who they were. They forgot who the Lord called them to be. They turned away from the Lord. Here, being stiff-necked is not a good thing. And we are stiff-necked too. We forget the Lord. We forget our call as followers of Jesus. And we need to remember because we forget, or more so generally speaking, because sometimes it's just really hard to follow God. And sometimes we just don't want to. The Israelites were to talk about God as they worked with their children. They were to have visual reminders of what God has done for them. And this is how they remembered. So many people actually have methods uh, for remembering. Science tells us that we forget for a number of reasons. I'm sure you've known what that is like to forget. Um, our brains are decaying, our senses are overloaded, our memories compete with other memories, and our methods of trying to remember are actually poorly executed. I know what this is like, I forget everything. Um, but here's something that I have. This is uh, my tree of life. We just bought this a couple of months ago at Home Goods. Don't go there. You will find too many things for remembering. When I see this tree, I am actually reminded of Psalm 1, which says that the one who meditates on God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water. You guys, I'm going to be that tree. 
I want to be standing firm, soaking up God's word, producing good fruit for others. As a follower of Jesus, I want to think deeply about God's commands. I want to remember that God was there in the garden creating the tree of life and how his intention is to be with his people. I want to know and live my life like God is always with me, so I have no reason to fear anything. I want to stay away from sin and behave in a world where I truly believe God is present with his people. I want to be meditating on God's word by following God. And this is how we are with him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This tree reminds me of that. It also reminds me when I am yelling at my children to get their shoes on, like they should have done five minutes ago. And I say some not-so-nice words, and I turn around and, oh, there's my tree. So what is your tree? What are you doing to remember that God is with you? Uh, This could be something very simple. You could start by memorizing scripture or listening to it on audio. You could join a small group. You could draw a picture if you're artistic, dedicate a prayer time every day. These are just a few examples, but do something that works for you. Science actually tells us that the weirder methods that we use for remembering, the more likely we are going to be to remember, so go be weird. Assuming that you'll just remember is not going to end well. We are creatures who forget, and we need to remember that God's presence is with us. And the point of our remembering should be to spur us to be obedient to God, to watch what we say, to love those people that we don't like, to pay attention, to marvel, to worship, to cry out, to ask questions, to be bold, to be humble, to realize that in everything we do, no matter where we are, the presence of God is with us even when we don't feel it. So as you leave from this place, remember that he goes with you. That's literally who he is. He is the present God and always has been and always will be. If you believe in Jesus, you have the power of the living God with you through the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to do what he's asked you to do. When you call on the name of Yahweh, remember he is with you. May you go with him. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, I am one of the first people to admit that 99% of the time I don't feel your presence. And sometimes that can make it extremely difficult to do what you have called us to do, especially when it seems like things don't go as smoothly or as planned, that they actually get harder. But I am so grateful that you ask us to remember because in this remembering, it changes us. It helps us to keep going. You want to change us as people. You want us to become more like your son. And this is how we remember. We remember by doing. And I pray that for everyone in here today, that they would do something to remember that God is with them every day because that's who you are. You are with us every single day, no matter where we are and no matter what we're doing. Thank you that you are a God who is present with us. 
Thank you for not being far away. Thank you for being close. Thank you for Jesus who came here to earth to be present with us, to show us what you are like. I ask as we go here from, I ask as we go today that we would remember that you're with us and that would change us. Thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.